Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. With the discovery of the New World, European empires fought for control of the vast, mysterious continent on the other side of the Atlantic. Italy, Spain, France, and England in turn. But none of these superpowers planted the seed that would eventually grow into the United States of America. Instead, it would be small handfuls of persecuted migrants risking their lives in search of one thing, religious freedom. Perhaps no one group would leave a more lasting impact on the future nation than the people simply called the Pilgrims. They were poor. They were outcasts. They were enemies of the state for their refusal to submit to the Church of England. They had to borrow money for the voyage. Even their benefactors took advantage of them. They wanted to worship their God as they saw fit, without fear, harassment, intimidation, lawsuits, imprisonment, or death. But they persisted until they were able to create in the New World a haven for religious freedom. But what the Pilgrims did in Plymouth is absolutely amazing. Not only did they start self-rule, they started free trade, capitalism, land ownership, all in 10 years with 51 people. So the shadow they cast was an amazing shadow. And that was Leo Martin of the Jenny Museum, which is a historical museum in Plymouth, Massachusetts. You're listening to News in Focus, a broadcast of the Ohio Christian Alliance, and we want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. It's been 403 years since the Pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock, and we're going to celebrate that this program. And as we continue in this country to give thanks to Almighty God for all of His gracious gifts. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We're going to learn about the pilgrims, that group of separatists that came to New England shores 403 years ago. And we're going to learn about how they uh, established a, a colony of religious freedom right there in Plymouth and made friends with the Native Americans that were there and began to evangelize them. And, of course, they became their brothers and sisters in Christ. They didn't come to exploit. They didn't, they didn't have slaves. They came to work the land and to carve out a new life in the new world for religious freedom. And God granted them that. We're going to hear from Leo Martin, who is the director of the Jenny Museum. In fact, the Ohio Christian Alliance will be, and Christian Alliance of America will be leading tours this coming year up to Plymouth. You'll want to stay tuned for that. We'll give announcements in the new year of how you can join us for a wonderful time in a season of touring Plymouth, Massachusetts, and the Boston Freedom Trail. Uh, Leo Martin, we met him a handful of years ago and his wonderful wife, Nancy, and they have what is called the Jenny Museum. It was first started in 2001, and then uh, the, with the old grist mill right in downtown Plymouth, and they began the historical tours. 
We're going to be listening to uh, Leo Martin as he gives a 20-minute presentation, and then I'm going to close us out with some closing thoughts on this Thanksgiving week, and I pray that this would be a blessing to you. Here now is Leo Martin of the Jenny Museum in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Welcome to Plymouth, America's hometown. Established in 1620 by the pilgrims when they came here from England to start a new life based on biblical law. But to tell the story, we need to really know what the pilgrims were all about. Back in the 1600s, the pilgrims had a little problem with a gentleman back in England by the name of King James. What's the problem they had with him? He was the King of England and the head of the Anglican Church. When King James set the law in England, he set the law for everybody. Everybody in England sat under the same rule of law, except King James. He was above the law. He didn't have to follow his own law. Not only that, if you belong to his church, the Anglican Church, and you wanted to pray, knock your lights out, pray all day long, as long as the subject of your prayer was King James. He thought he was God, divine right of kings. Kind of rubbed our pastor the wrong way. John Robinson, the pastor of the pilgrims, took his folks out of the Anglican Church, and they had church in their homes. In other words, the pilgrims separated from the Church of England. That's why we're called separatists. Another group back then, theologically similar to the pilgrims, stayed in the Anglican Church and tried to purify it from within. We call them the Puritans. They came 10 years later and founded Boston. But folks, this is a very big difference. Because when John Robinson did that, separated from the church, he never wanted to see one person in charge of everything ever again, like the king. So he had his congregation elect him, pastor, not appoint him. Appoint him, you can't get rid of him. Elect him, you can dump him. But you know what that did for us? That started self-rule in our country. The result, the Mayflower Compact, the first document to self-rule, where we elected John Carver, the first freely elected official in the United States. Of course, the question is this. Where in the world did John Robinson come up with this self-rule thing in the first place? Back then, there was no self-rule. Everything was tyrannical. He came up with it when he started reading the Bible. And in the Old Testament, he came across a little passage called the Dominion Charter, where to take dominion over the earth, over the animals, birds, fish, things that creep and crawl. But he also read this, not each other. You see, Robinson read, we're all made in the image of God. Well, if we're all made in the image of God, then no human being has a right to be above another human being without their consent. Self-rule, civil government, is a biblical principle. You cannot have civil government without biblical law. And the way I like to explain it to people is this. Want me to be king? Happy to do it. I'll take the job. And you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to set the law. You know what I'm going to do next week? Change it in my favor. But I can't change God's law. Without that truth, without that constant, you cannot have a civil government. So what is the story with these people? Let's back up a little bit. Back in the 1600s, where they had that little problem with King James, and King James thinking he was God and all, uh, they separated from the Church of England and started church in their homes. And they started a church in a town called Scrooby, England. And when they did that, they wrote a covenant called the Scrooby Covenant, where they would honor and love one another under God as king. Now, here's the thing. You could belong to their church if you wanted to, but you didn't have to. See, you had to belong to King James's church. If you didn't in England, you would be persecuted. But you didn't have to belong to the church in Scrooby, the Covenant Church. 
But if you're going to belong, follow the rules. And the rules were biblical law. We were a, a, a biblical congregation under God with biblical law, and we elected our officials. So what this does initially is take the power out of the hands of the leader or the king and puts it into the hands of the people. Because if you don't like what's going on, you cannot elect those people. So the Scrooby Covenant was the first document like that. And, and, and what happened then, because they separated from the church, they were persecuted and they were forced out of England and went to Holland for 12 years where they could worship freely. Well, while in Holland, the congregation grew to over 300 people. When they came here 12 years later, their pastor, Pastor Robinson, had to stay back with the majority of the congregation, and a gentleman called William Brewster, the elder of the church, came in his place and did all the preaching. But he was not a preacher by trade, he was a printer. And while he was in England, he printed materials against the Anglican church. That did not sit well with the king. Brewster had to jump on the Mayflower and get out of town. Had he been caught, he would have been imprisoned. Unfortunately, his partner, Thomas Brewer, did not make it. Spent the next 14 years in prison where he died. But the pilgrims did make it. In their first project in Plymouth, they built a common house, a building they would share. That's where they would hold town meeting and church. But as you can imagine, when they arrived, there was nowhere to stay. They stayed in the common house for the first winter. Well, that common house had a thatched roof, caught a spark, and it burned. All the pilgrims got out on time. Nobody died, but they did rebuild the common house, finished it in the spring. And that is where, in 1621, they signed a peace treaty with the Indians. That lasted 55 years, the longest-lasting peace treaty with the Indians in our country's history. We're all equal in the sight of God. That means the Indians. And so we treated the pilgrims, the Indians, just as equally as we treated each other. And we signed that peace treaty and had a close relationship with them for 55 years. All under biblical law. Where do you come up with something like this? You come up with something like this when you exercise the, big, the most important commandment, love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. See, because if we don't love We'll take advantage of people. I'll give you an example. When the pilgrims originally came to Plymouth, their economic situation was communal. That, of course, means that everybody at the plantation worked in the same field and grew their food. Then at the end of the season, they simply evenly split with each other what they produced. Sounds fair enough? Oh, and of course, it didn't work. And I'll tell you why. If you and I both went out in the field to work, you worked hard and I did not, I would still be paid what you were paid. There was no reward for hard work. 102 came on the Mayflower, 51 died the first winter. The first three years, they all almost stopped. Why? They didn't produce. There was no incentive. But from 1623 on, they never had a problem. What changed? The way they did business. 1623, the governor changed to land ownership. Now every family owned their own land, grew their own food, and fed themselves. Then they simply traded with each other what they had left over. Folks, we call that free trade. That worked. Never had a starving day after that. They tripled their production. See, even people who are Christians need to be checked on. We're all sinners. We all push the limit. So we need to be checked on. But what we really need to do is to love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. That's what we need to do. 
See, now, here's the issue with the, with the young men at the plantation. I'm an old man, and I'm crippled. Now, if there was a young man at the plantation and the governor went up to him and said, hey, young man, you go help that old guy and you give him your stuff because he can't fend for himself. I don't care who you are, you'd resent that. You do not want to be told what to do with your stuff. On the other hand, if we left him alone to produce the best he could on his land and he did well, I would be willing to bet he would help that old man voluntarily because he's not being told what to do with his stuff. So what we need to do is we do need to check on each other because we are all human, but we need to love one another. We need to be there for one another. See, see land ownership is, is a really big deal in Plymouth. Uh, and look, I sit on a river right here in Plymouth. Uh, and back then... We had a tribe of Indians in Plymouth called the, called the uh, Wampanoag Indians and their chief Massasoit. But we did have another tribe here in Plymouth called the Pawtuxet Indians. Pawtuxet means small river. They were named after our river. Now, before the pilgrims came here, hunters would come from Europe, hunt and go back home. On occasion, uh, they would invite Indians aboard their ships to trade with them, capture them as slaves, and take them back to Europe. One of those Indians' name was Squanto. Squanto was a Pawtuxet Indian. Now, he was invited aboard a ship by a hunter by the name of Hunt. Well, Hunt took him back to Europe. He escapes to a monastery, learns English. Six months later, uh, he comes back on another ship to discover the Pawtuxet Indians, his tribe, wiped out by a plague. He went into mourning with Massasoit and the Wampanoag. Six months later, the pilgrims arrived. He became the interpreter between the pilgrims and the Indians. That is the only way they could communicate. Governor William Bradford did refer to him as a special gift from God. But why do I bring this up? Because when people come to see me, they assume the pilgrims stole the land from the Indians. They did not. The Indians did not want the land. They would not come back on it because of the plague. So the pilgrims took land nobody wanted. Everything after that they paid for to the chief, Massasoit. Guys, this is very important. If we can't own property, we have absolutely no power. Whoever owns the property we do business on will be our master. We will be their slave. We have to have the ability to own property. And the number one property the pilgrims believed they owned and nobody had a right to touch was their conscience, what they believed, folks. What you believe is your property. Nobody has a right to take it from you. And that's why the pilgrims came to Plymouth. There was a gentleman back in England trying to take the property of what they believed away from them. They would not allow it. They came here instead. And of course, that gentleman's name is King James. And when you come to Plymouth, you, you have to understand how things were done differently under biblical law. See, we signed the Scooby Covenant, came to Plymouth, and in Plymouth, we wrote a law called the Mayflower Compact. Now, the Mayflower Compact was another covenant, a civil co covenant, where we would form a government, a civil body politic, with Jesus, God, in charge, with biblical law. So the covenant is an umbrella that brings everything the pilgrims did together because their textbook and everything they did was the Bible. So if you look at the Bible and you get principles to raise your family, to build a political system, to build an economy, it all comes out of the Bible. And when you follow that and you stay under the covenant, you're gonna be great.
See, God is a God of order. And when you put God's principles in place, you're going to see order. Now, if you take God out of the picture, he no longer is king. He no longer is on his throne. You're going to have disorder because you just removed God from the picture. And I think lately today, if you notice what's going on, we have a little disorder going on. That is because today we're moving away from the covenant with God and we're not putting God on his throne. Now, what this means, if you're going to remove God from his throne, if you're going to take him out, something's going to fill that void. It's going to be there. And what's going to fill that void? Well, back in the 1600s in England, King James filled the void. King James felt he was God's representative on earth as the king. Well, if you're going to think you're God's representative on earth, eventually you're going to think you're God on earth. And he had everybody have to go to his church and worship him. But the pilgrims wouldn't do it. They wanted to worship Jesus Christ and they separated and started their own church. Now look what's going on today. If you want God gone, he's got to be completely gone to fill that void. And who you fill that void with? The state. And today the state is trying to become God. The state wants us to worship it. Look what's happening. Let's take a hypothetical. Let's say for the past couple of years we had a pandemic. And during that pandemic, the state was telling us what we could do. For example, they told you you could go, go to Walmart you could go to Home Depot, you could go to the package store, but you couldn't go to church. You see, they were moving church from the picture and removing God from the picture. And once you totally eliminate God and the church, now the state step takes over and the state tells you what you can do and what you cannot do and you've just lost your liberties and you've just lost your freedom. You are not going to be free or, li or, or have any liberties without God being in charge, without biblical law, because I'll tell you what, if it's not biblical law, where's the law going to come from? It's going to come from people. Here's an example. You want me to be king? Happy to do it. I'll take the job. And you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to set the law. You know what I'm going to do next week? Change it in my favor. But I can't change God's law. Without that truth, without that constant, you cannot have a civil government. And that takes commitment. Commitment to the covenant. If you were to come visit me here in Plymouth, I'd take you to a statue downtown called the Pilgrim Mother. Uh, the statue representing the 18 married women that came on the Mayflower. See, when we originally left Europe, we had two ships. One called the Speedwell, one called the Mayflower. We owned the Speedwell, we leased the Mayflower. The Speedwell picked our friends up in Holland, brought them to England, met the Mayflower, and came over. When they left England, the Speedwell leaked twice. They had to sell it for half what they paid for it, lost their investment. 20 of the original passengers had to stay behind and they left late. When they landed on the tip of Cape Cod, they had run out of food. The men looked around the Cape, found a stash of corn buried in the ground by the Indians and they took it. They did not steal the corn, they borrowed it. They paid it back later. Had they not taken the corn, they never would have survived because you see, by the end of that first winter, they were doling out a quarter pound of cornbread per person per day to survive on. So as you can well imagine, the mothers took their bread and fed their children. 
They cover their children with their own bodies to keep them warm. Of those 18 married women, 14 died the first winter, sacrificing for the next generation, knowing if they did not survive, we would not survive. And written on the back of that statue, it says, they brought their families in a sturdy virtue and a living faith in God without which nations perish. And while the women were making that tough decision, the men were making another one, hold back some of that corn. If they had no seed for the first season, nobody would have survived. They called that the starving time. And I'll be honest, when I tell that story, an awful lot of people ask me some difficult questions. One of those questions is, why in the world would these people do what they did? What would cause the pilgrims to do this? Another question is, how do you pick 20 people to stay behind when your boat leaks? They didn't have to. 20 volunteered. You see, those first two starts were very rough. 20 had no problem staying behind. One of them was not William Bradford. When that event took place, William Bradford said this, like Gideon's army, the Lord thought us too many for the task at hand and cut our number down. And he got on the boat. In other words, he was saying, if you're not committed, stay home. And at the end of that first season, when Captain Jones got the Mayflower ready to go back to England, he turned to the 51 remaining pilgrims and he said to them, I want you back on my ship. I'm taking you home. I cannot leave you here. Not one got back on. But I will tell you this. When that boat disappeared over the horizon, those 51 remaining pilgrims fell on their knees and they wept. The last bit of civilization as they knew it just disappeared. So again, the question is this, why did they do it? Folks, they did it for you. They did it for me. They did it for posterity. They did it to pass that biblical law to the next generation. And now that's what we need to do. And that's why I'm so happy with homeschooling. If our country's going to be saved, the homeschooling movement is going to save it. We need to pass to the next generation what they need to know. Look, I told you folks, we signed a peace treaty with the Indians. We signed that peace treaty with a gentleman called Massasoit, the chief of the Wampanoag. Back in the 1600s, the Wampanoag lived right here in Plymouth and on Cape Cod and in New Bedford and in Rhode Island. He was chief of all of them, very important man, but he was also our friend. Without him signing that peace treaty, the pilgrims would not have survived. But also keep this in mind, three years into that peace treaty, Massasoit was at his camp in Rhode Island. The man had the plague, he was dying. A gentleman from Plymouth by the name of Edward Winslow, once governor, put some herbs together and Ed Winslow walked to Rhode Island to nurse Massasoit back to health. Winslow walked 40 miles. Halfway there, he was met on a path by an Indian who told him not to bother finishing the trip. Massasoit died. Well, he finished the trip anyway, and he discovered Massasoit had not yet died. He was very close, and Ed Winslow nursed him back to health. From that day forward, they were great friends, and that peace treaty was even stronger. Now we'll move ahead 50 years. 50 years later, we had the King Philip War. King Philip was not a European. He was Massasoit's son. His Christian name was Philip. He went to negotiate not to go to war with the then governor of Plymouth, Josiah Winslow, Edward Winslow's son. While they're negotiating, Philip said to Winslow, he says, hey, I'm a chief, you're just a governor. I'm not gonna talk to you, I'll only talk to kings. 
They broke off the negotiations and went to war. From that day forward, Philip was referred to as King Philip because he would only talk to kings, and the two men who became great friends, their two sons went to war a generation later. That biblical education skipped that generation, and what was the result? The largest percentage of population was killed in the King Philip War than any war in our country's history, and it could have been stopped. That's how important education is. That's how important us passing to the next generation biblical law and the reason our country was founded on biblical law as a Christian nation. I want to thank you for what you're doing, and I look forward to you passing to the next generation what we need to know. Thank you, and God bless you. And that was Leo Martin of the Jenny Museum presenting about the pilgrims in Plymouth, Massachusetts on this Thanksgiving week. We hope that's been a blessing to you and your family, and we pray for you that you would give thanks to Almighty God, again, who all gracious gifts come from Him. This is Chris Long, host of News in Focus, announcing my new book, For Their Honor, how the D-Day prayer was added to the World War II Memorial. This book tells the 11-year story of how one of the largest mass prayers in history was added to the World War II Memorial. The D-Day prayer was one of FDR's fireside chats, but it stands alone as an incredible moment in American history. The date was June 6, 1944. Operation Overlord, the D-Day invasion of Western France, was already underway by the Allied nations. News reports throughout the day were released from General Eisenhower's headquarters with short statements but with few details on what was happening with the landings and on the beaches of France. The American public anxiously awaited throughout the day to hear from President Roosevelt for more details on the historic invasion. What they heard that evening was a president inviting them to join him in prayer. This book will inspire and encourage your faith you can order yours today at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It will make a great Christmas gift. America is kept safe because the Army National Guard responds, protects, and supports our nation when it needs them most. The Army National Guard responds to disasters such as wildfires and floods. They protect us with missile defense, cybersecurity, and civilian support teams for chemical, biological, and radiological hazards. Be there for your community and your country. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And we're glad that you're with us on this special segment of News in Focus as we have a a very big announcement to share with you, and that is the book that uh, I've been writing this past year about how the D-Day prayer was added to the World War II Memorial. It was an 11-year journey uh, that you know that we worked on, and it, of course it was accomplished as it was dedicated this last June. The book is called For Their Honor, and in celebration of Veterans Day that we just observed over the weekend, but we're continuing here as we only broadcast once a week here on the on the program uh, on the station. But we want to share with you 
uh, these veterans' thoughts of the book that was released for their honor. Let me read to you a little bit about the book. It says, This book was written to tell the 11-year story of how one of the largest mass prayers in history was added to the World War II Memorial. The D-Day prayer was one of FDR's fireside chats, but it stands alone as an incredible moment in American history. The date was June 6, 1944. Operation Overlord, the D-Day invasion of Western France, was already underway by the Allied nations. News reports throughout that day were released from General Eisenhower's headquarters with short statements, but with few details of what was happening on the landings and on the beaches of France. The American public anxiously awaited to hear from the president of what uh, the details were of the invasion. What they heard that night was the president inviting them to join him in prayer. That is what we know as the D-Day prayer. It was 9.57 p.m. June 6th. That evening was actually D-Day plus one over in in France, Uh, but uh, he rallied the nation to pray with him. And, of course, prayer gatherings broke out all across the country as people understood the significance of the moment and the need for prayer. Well, we're at that place again in our nation's history. We need prayer for our country, and we can see the saber rattling around the world. We see what's happening in Israel and what's happening in Ukraine, and of course uh, the, the tensions in the South Pacific. Uh, you have uh, with Taiwan and China uh, trying to uh, take back Taiwan, and it is an independent nation. And so we see that there's storm clouds again, as there was 80 years ago. We've had a long time of world peace. There's been wars and rumors of wars all these years, but there has not been a world conflict, and we pray that there won't be. But uh, that's why we want to share with you this wonderful book for their honor. How can you obtain it? You can go to our website at ohioca.org. That's the Ohio Christian Alliance website. It's also available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. You can just look up For Their Honor, written by Christopher Long, and it's also on our website, both the print and ebook version. Well, this last week I had the great opportunity to be interviewed by TCT Television about the book uh, with our good friends Judge Brown and Tom Nolan. And we're going to go to that right now, and then we're going to close out today's program with FDR as he prayed with the nation on June 6, 1944, the D-Day prayer. Let's take a listen to the interview with Tom and Judge. Some things have changed. Wars change. (laughs) Leaders change. Reasons for fighting change. Locations of the battles change. Weapons change. But some things don't change. Dedication doesn't change. Loyalty doesn't change. Sacrifice doesn't change. Honor doesn't change. Love doesn't change. And God never changes. On this special day we set aside to honor our veterans, we say, God bless you and thank you. Well, welcome back and we continue to honor and celebrate our veterans today throughout this weekend and really something that we should do all the time as we continue to celebrate the freedoms that uh, don't come freely. And there are people that have uh, paid um, the highest price for us to have this opportunity, as I mentioned, to have the freedom of speech, to have the freedom of religion and every other 
freedom that we have in this country. But today we're joined by Chris Long, uh, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance is one organization. That's how we originally uh, got connected here at the uh, uh, Akron Cleveland station many years ago, um, but uh, also uh, president of the Christian Alliance of America, um, also involved in the D-Day Prayer Project, have the book For Their Honor, and uh, we are thankful for all you do uh, to represent Christian values and to uh, help preserve those freedoms uh, for Christians um, here in the state of Ohio as well as nationally. Absolutely. And so uh, welcome to the program. Welcome, well, thank welcome. you, Tom. Thank you, Judge. It's good to be with you. And what a, a fitting uh, opportunity to launch the book for their honor. Uh, it's a book written about the 11-year journey of adding FDR's D-Day prayer at the World War II Memorial. And when we say for their honor, the real joy was meeting the veterans along the way through that whole 11-year process of many of the greatest generation that we met at the World War II Memorial as we were gathering signatures and building advocacy for the prayer, first getting it through Congress, uh, then raising the funds and sweating it out a little bit. You know what that's like, uh, paying for the bills here at TCT, right? But what it is, it's a faith walk, really. And, and in the end, God put together a wonderful gift for us to be able to add that prayer. We needed $2 million, and the Lord miraculously provided that through a grant. And uh, the senator and I, Senator Portman, who was the sponsor of the bill in the U.S. Senate, were very emotional on the phone together. Both of our fathers served in World War II. And he called me that day, so I wanted to tell you personally, Chris, that the Lilly Endowment came forward with a $2 million grant. And so we were able to launch and finally get the prayer in the ground. It was dedicated this last June. So when you go to Washington and you see the World War II Memorial, go through the Atlantic Arch, and over to the left, you will see what is called a prayer for the nation. And it is FDR's D-Day prayer that he prayed with the nation on June 6, 1944. It was actually 9.57 p.m. that evening that he went to the airwaves. And uh, all through the, the day, they were getting reports that the invasion had begun. So just short little news clips uh, came across the wire. But people began instinctively to enter prayer chapels and synagogues and begin to pray for our troops uh, that were liberating Europe and they were on the beaches of France and no one really knew the details. So they anticipated listening carefully to the radio that night. You know, FDR had a custom called the fireside chats uh, during his presidency and people would listen to him during these broadcasts. Well, the FDR D-Day prayer is a fireside chat like no other because it was that evening when they tuned in to hear the president, what more details he would give them, he asked them to join him in prayer. And that's what's great. He had the whole nation's attention. It's estimated over 100 million people worldwide heard the president as he went to the airwaves that night to pray with the nation for the liberation of Europe, but for all of our troops who were serving on battlefields all over the world at that time in the Pacific and in the European theater and, of course, in Italy in the Mediterranean, uh, but their reliance was upon God. We could use that today, right? Amen. Amen. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. You know, and I remember uh, when this was dropped into your heart and you began to share this and bring the idea and what a project it took. But just back up for a minute and talk about why God put that in your heart. I mean, what was so was so unique about that that initiated this, this several-year journey to make this happen? Well, we talk on this program, right, about listening, listening to the Lord. I woke up one morning with an idea. I turned to my wife. I said, I got an idea. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to ask uh, Congressman Bill Johnson to offer legislation to add FDR's D-Day prayer at the World War II Memorial. Well, we were aware of the monument. Of course, I've taken my father there. It was dedicated in 2004, um, and we took him a couple of times, but 
there was something missing on the monument. It was a great tribute to the 16 million Americans who served us in World War II, but it didn't have a prayer, a scripture verse, or a reference to God anywhere on it. Well, that's unique in Washington if you go to the Library of Congress, the U.S. Capitol, Washington Monument, right. the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial. They all have prayers, scripture verses, or reference to God. This was omitted, and it didn't escape the attention of these veterans who would go to that area of the wall that was FDR's uh, proclamation of war on, de on December 8th, 1941, just after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. He ended that speech with, so help us God. And they said, hey, it's missing the four most important words. And so when we told the veterans of this idea, they said, young man, get it done. Well, I was a little younger then, okay? It took 11-year journey to get this done, right? And, of course, they're older men. They were in their 80s at that time, and now they're in their late 90s, those of, that are still with us. And we do have members of the World War II generation still with us. But on this broadcast, when we're honoring our veterans, I want to share with everyone yes. something that you need to do. Just say this to veterans and your family, your friends, and, and in your uh, little universe. Say, um, thank you for your service. Just thank them for their service. Whenever they served, if they were Gulf War veterans, if they were uh, Vietnam veterans, thank those veterans who served us in time of peace. Thank those veterans for their service. It means so much to them and their families. Well, I know when you posted the picture, uh, when that was actually put in place and it was there, I could just see this glow on your face okay. to see this project completed. But it's, it's more than just adding another something in Washington, but it's really making a proclamation of our faith and how our faith guided us in our history. Absolutely. And what I love is to watch, we, you know, it's, it's funny, there's a little, and we'll tell it in the book, For Their Honor, uh, when Sylvia and I, my wife, got the opportunity to see the monument. It's been an 11-year journey, right? Uh, we thought this wasn't going to get dummy maybe within a few years, but it was, uh, took a few years to get it through Congress. And then there was a whole story behind that and how God worked. I mean, unanimous consent in the U.S. Senate, that's almost impossible. That's 100 senators agreeing on one thing. When was the last time you heard that? Well, happen, there's right? a miracle. There's a miracle. And then President Obama, he signed it on June 30th of that year. He originally, his administration opposed it, but then he went ahead and signed it, which was great, right? And so, but then the story begins of how you go about adding this prayer, and you get involved with the Park Service and the Friends of the World War II right. Memorial, and you have to raise the money privately. It can't be paid for by tax dollars, but by private donations. And so we were off on another journey, right? Well, the book tells all about that for their honor. And uh, by the way, that book is available on our website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Or it's going to be available on Amazon as well, both the ebook and the print version. And, uh, you know, get your copy and actually give it to a veteran. You, because what it does is it tells the stories of veterans we met along the way. And we met some incredible veterans that were involved in both the European and the Pacific Theater of Operation. And um, this prayer will continue to tell their story for generations to come. It's a permanent addition. And what I love is to watch the young people and the families walking by and they see the title, A Prayer for the Nation. They're like, what's this? And then to watch them go over and young people want to read the prayer out loud. It's all 515 words of the prayer that he gave them that broadcast that day. And to watch these people's response to the addition of this prayer, I thought, mission accomplished. Because it's going to give them what? A respect for that generation that fought for our liberty and give them an appreciation that our country was founded on godly principles. So powerful. So powerful. You know, and I want to say thank you as, you know, anytime God puts something in your heart, the importance of sticking with it. 
and following it through um, because it truly can make a difference in so many people's life and probably more than you even realize. And you're already seeing the great impact. I know you've already mentioned your book, For Their Honor. Um, I know this will be a blessing to so many people. I want to encourage them to get that, especially if this is something that's really near and dear to your heart. So many people in our, in our world today, um, you know, we're desperate to see people stand for faith. For, for prayers to be prayed. We need prayer, you know, like never before, and be able to reflect um, on some of our past presidents of how in times of trouble, times of war, we always went to prayer. There were times of prayer and fasting that was called. That's right. And so it's, uh, it's so good to see this, and I hope when you get the chance to go to Washington that you'll be able to go by and see this memorial as well. It's really fantastic. It is, and I want to ask you just to speak. You mentioned some of the uh, stories uh, that are in the book, and um, it, we also know that there aren't a whole lot more from that generation, and uh, this uh, world war <laughs> that uh, really had an effect not only on the future of our country, but really what's happening uh, across the world, and now we're seeing uh, things like what's happening in Israel and Palestine, we're seeing Russia and Ukraine, and we're seeing these conflicts happen and people uh, serving uh, their countries, um, not just here in the U.S. Of course, we're celebrating this weekend U.S. veterans, but share with us um, uh, some of those uh, stories that you had to, uh, the opportunity to connect with these people that really have made an impact that is still affecting us uh, today. Those that may not have even been alive back at that time, but their service and, and their willingness to serve made an impact. You know, that's a great point, Tom, because these veterans, uh, when they concluded that war, that world conflict at the time, uh, God gave them a covenant of peace. We haven't been at world war since that time. And since the time that many of them, these men are living into their late 90s and into their hundreds. In fact, there was a group of veterans. They were all 100 plus, and they were in pretty good health. You and I should be <laughs> of that good of health. And they were down there for an observance uh, back last December on uh, Pearl Harbor Day. They came in from San Antonio, Texas, and there was like 15 of them. And they're all at the century marker above, and they were in good, you know, uh, spirits and actually in good consciousness of their minds and being able to converse with us. So that's that's amazing thing. But to hear their stories of how God uh, was with them even during the war, there was one story of Ed Cottrell uh, here in Ohio. He was at an event and shared that uh, his plane was hit by German anti-aircraft, and there was the German Messerschmitts that were coming behind him, and uh, he was trying to get back to England, but his, his aircraft was just limping along, and they came behind him like they're going to take him out, and he said, this is it. But they both came along each side of his wing and looked at him and gave him the okay sign and peeled off. And he got home safe. He said, I got out of that aircraft and I knelt down and kissed the ground. That was the mercy of God. So there's great stories in the book about that. Uh, just some tremendous stories of how um, God really worked in the lives of these veterans. There's another gentleman um, that uh, he was uh, in England on the celebration of the end of the war. He happened to have a pass and uh, he was down in London. It was on VE Day, you know, the great celebration. The war in Europe is over, right? And he said it was coming towards the end of the day, and he was at a bus stop with a, a lady and with her child, and they both sat there as twilight came and the lights came on. She began to weep because the lights had been off through the entire war because of bombing raids. And he began to weep too because what it meant was it was a time of peace. They didn't have to worry about bodies coming home, bombs dropping, 
And so it was a time of peace. And so God gave them that covenant of peace. And so we need to pray that this current generation, younger generation, learn from that generation because they have a mighty word to say to us because we are facing conflicts right now around the world and we do need to be in prayer. Wow. So powerful. And again, in your book, and you can get it on Amazon, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. So many great stories, and you're going to be able to hear this uh, great story of how this was added there in Washington. And Chris, before we end our time together, you're doing some also some incredible things, uh, not only here in Ohio, but in other places around this country. And uh, just give us a little update of who uh, Alliance of America is, Christian Alliance of America. Well, that's right. Well, part of what you've heard today, you know, we, we support our American values and our Christian heritage and our input in this cult culture. You know, uh, pastors have said, well, I don't want to politicize the pulpit, but I think Christians shouldn't be involved in our culture. And I agree with that. In fact, we, we just went through an election here in Ohio, and a lot of pastors took the podium and they shared their thoughts about the election here in Ohio. And I like that they took the ownership of the issue, right? And they said, win or lose, we're going to stand our ground. And so the Christian Alliance of America, that's who we are. We stand on a set of principles of what we believe about uh, our God and, and basically for our country, God and country. And we're going to believe that and we're going to hold that ground. So if the current culture goes down, we're at least going to be the last witness. But I don't think so. I think, um, you know, what this, this network does, it's a testament that there is, God is speaking to a whole new generation. And there's about to be awakening among these young people. And I'm excited to see that. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Amen, amen. Well, I really enjoyed being the guest of uh, Judge Brown and Tom Nolan on TCT. But we want to close out today's program with the prayer of FDR. And we hope that you'll pick up the book again at our website at ohioca.org. Let's take a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans, last night when I spoke with you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment the troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. It has come to pass with success thus far. And so, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day, without rest, until the victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. 
Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of special prayer. But because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer. As we rise to each new day, and again when each day is spent, let words of prayer be on our lips, invoking thy help to our efforts. Give us strength, too, strengthen our daily tasks, to redouble the contributions we make in the physical and the material support of our armed forces. And let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travel, to bear sorrows that may come, to impart our courage unto our sons, wheresoever they may be. And, O oh Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of our spirit ever be dulled. Let not the impacts of temporary events, of temporal matters of but fleeting moment, let not these deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country. And with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace. A peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men and a peace that will let all men live in freedom. 
reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.